Hello, fellow rebel capitals. Hope you're well. So we've all heard in the mainstream media that the job market is tight. The job market is resilient and therefore the economy is on fire. But the most recent data would suggest otherwise. When you combine this with all the other data points that we look at on this channel, I think it's safe to assume that the unemployment rate may go up substantially moving into 2024 which could mean millions of Americans may lose their jobs. Let's get into this data and check it out. This is from Zero Hedge, and the author is Torsten Sloak via ApolloAcademy.com. I have no idea who this is, but uh, the article had some really, really cool charts. The title is What Comes After a Soft Landing, More Slowing, but I don't know who wrote this title. <laughs> it was I don't think it was a very good title. I think it's more about the unemployment rate. So check this out. Go through these charts. Unemployment growth, or excuse me, employment growth has slowed. So we they've got this chart going. Actually, let me see if I can zoom in. Ah, yes, I can. So the, let's see, non-change and non-farm payroll employment. Oh, wow. That is, geez, that is declining, isn't it? So you had uh, the three-month moving average at, 700 that would be 700,000 I believe in September 21 and then it just keeps pretty much going straight down there's some volatility in there as you would imagine but it gets to where we are today at roughly 150 now the first thing that would come to my mind is do these numbers include the um the changes or what, what do they call them Josh the when they go back and make the, the revised numbers yeah the revisions which we know that pretty much every single month for the last, what, 15 months or so, they've revised the prior month's numbers down substantially. Like over the last couple of months, I think they they revised the numbers down, about, uh, down by like 150,000. It's, it's not minor changes. So I don't know if even this chart tells the whole story. Then they look at the consensus forecast. I don't know that I'd put too much weight into that because the consensus is usually wrong i i don't know if it's basically a coin toss in my opinion when you look at the consensus but they're showing that uh this dotted line indicates where i guess the mainstream economists see this headed in the in the future and that's basically straight down to zero so let's go back to the article check out some more charts here job openings have been trending lower so look at this one so these are the jolts numbers and we go all the way back to 2001 Look at what happens during a recession. Even .com, the jolts numbers really start to go down. You see G GFC, exact same thing. The numbers really start to plummet. You see Cerveza, boom. As you would imagine, they fall off a cliff. But I guess you could argue here, if I'm going to play devil's advocate, you could argue that it's going back down to a, to a historic norm and that this isn't really anything to be concerned with because once we get down to let's say the levels that we saw in 2019 that are all, but see the numbers were even coming down then. You know, Snyder always says that we are most likely headed for a recession anyway, based on the, the curves. And I would argue, I think a lot of it had to do with insider information around the Cerveza sickness. I'm sure you guys probably watched my whiteboard video on that. I think a lot of these insiders like Paul Tudor Jones, Warren Buffett, Soros and whatnot, I think they had some insider intel on, on the leak way back in the middle of 2019, and they were making bets on that, which would explain why the yield curve started to invert quite significantly. But 
aside from that, you can see how there would be a good argument here for the U.S. going into recession, even without the Cervasa sickness. You see these jolts numbers really starting to decline, like you saw pretty much in every single other recession. You know, they flatlined a little bit in 2017, but you didn't get that decline. And now we have this steep decline. My point there was, I think there'd be a good argument that it would go back down to the levels that we saw in 2019 and kind of flatline. But this is something that we'll definitely have to watch very, very closely. And I would also like to know, yes, the numbers are coming down. Yes, they went way, way up. But did they go up to a point where we employ as many people now as we did in 2019? I don't know. Just because these numbers go up, it doesn't necessarily mean that we gained back all of the jobs. I mean, this is job openings. So look at all the people that left the labor force as an example. And they're starting to come back now because I think they're running out of purchasing power because their wages have not gone up the rate of inflation or assuming they're out of the job market because that excess savings they've burned through because of inflation. But uh, this is something that I'll be very interested to see what this number does once it gets back down to the level we saw in 2019. Right now, obviously, the trend is down big time. So that's job openings. Next, the share of workers voluntarily quitting their job is declined. Okay, so this is a big deal because if this number is high, this would imply that workers have no problem quitting because they believe they can get a job very, very quickly. So why not quit? If I don't like my boss, F you. I'm going to go take my stimmy money, go down to Medellin for a couple weeks, relax, chill with my bros, act like I'm Pablo Escobar. I'm going to come back. I know I'm easily going to get a job. <laughs> Just to give you a quick little uh, example of, of, of what may happen there. But as this number goes back down, this is the, the worker coming to the realization that, hey, I might not want to quit my job right now because I've got bills to pay. I've got a student loan payment coming up that I haven't had for three years. And I don't know how fast I can get another job. And just these little side hustles with Uber and whatnot, that's not going to cut it. I'm not going to be able to make ends meet if that's all I've got to fall back on. So that's what this number is telling you. And uh, we're down right now at the level we were 2019. But as this goes down, that's never a good sign. Hey, guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Ceresna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. Wage growth for job switchers is declining. Boy, it goes right back to what we were saying there. So and this could go into that last chart where even if you think that you're going to get a better job, you're not assuming that if you do get another job, you're going to get a pay increase. So for a while there in the United States, 
if you looked at the, the polls, what people were saying for the, the normal employee is they would have no problem leaving their job because they knew or they felt if they got another job in a month or so that they'd actually get a pay increase. So why not just work for two or three months, quit, find another job, and every single time you find another job, you get a 10% bump. Now, all of a sudden, that narrative is changing quite significantly. So the overall psychology of the labor force is changing, and that's indicated by this chart. Let's see, job stayer, job switcher. Oh, yeah, so the job stayer believes that their wages are going to remain relatively the same, and the job switcher is kind of coming back down to earth, realizing that if they do get another job, it's probably not going to pay any more than their current gig. And that's probably preventing a lot of people from quitting to begin with, which is what we saw in the chart earlier. So average weekly hours. Okay, so this isn't good because even if you're hiring more and more people, if they're working a lot less, this indicates that there's less demand for labor. There's fewer goods and services being created. Uh, therefore, you're cutting their hours. You, you you always do this prior to cutting employees. You never just want to wake up one day, go into work and say, okay, everyone's fired or 50% of your work uh, or your staff is fired. You want to be careful with that because you don't know, especially if you don't follow macroeconomics, you think that this wave of demand that you saw over the last two years, that's the new normal. And what we've seen over the last couple of months with the softening, the slowing, you think that's the anomaly. You've got to put yourself in the mindset of someone that knows nothing about macroeconomics or that doesn't follow this stuff at all because they're too busy just focusing on their their little restaurant business or whatever it is they're doing. So it, they've got a completely different worldview than you and I. They see things basically the opposite, that what we've seen lately, like I said earlier, that's the anomaly, the softening of demand. That's the anomaly. So I don't want to fire my workers because I know what happened back in 2021. All of a sudden that demand went through the roof and I didn't have enough staff to fill those orders. And I never want to be in that position again. So I'm going to have to cut back my hours, but I don't want to cut back the staff. That's usually the first step on the road to the unemployment rate going up dramatically. And it's like going bankrupt. It happens very slowly and then all at once. What I mean by that is these employers, they have this mindset that demand's going to come back, but it's like they all realize at the same time, holy cow, it's not coming back. And that's when they go from just reducing hours actually reducing employees. There we go. Some really great charts. That was a, a, a pretty much all you need to know about the labor market. And I want to be clear. I think one of the ways to utilize this channel is to use it as an informational resource to bump up against everything that you hear in the mainstream media. Because what you usually hear on CNBC is all going to be bullish, 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 bullish. It's, it's all going to paint the, rose with, uh, the world with these rose-colored glasses and whatnot. But on this channel, I try to dig deep into the actual data, give you my opinion, which at least for the last couple of years has been pretty bearish. And so if, if I'm an investor, what I'm doing is I'm taking what I hear on the George Gammon channel, and I'm not taking that as though it's written in stone. Absolutely not. I'm just using it as one data source among another, let's say five or another 10 data sources to come to my own conclusions on what the probabilities are that we're going to see a recession, the probabilities that we're, you know, what's going to happen to the labor market. I don't know. If you listen to me and a bunch of other people, I think you're far more educated and you're far more able to make that decision on your own and then to manage your own finances accordingly or to manage whatever you're doing with your own business. So never, ever, ever just watch my channel, for heaven's sakes. Never, ever, ever just watch CNBC. You've got to get a variety of opinions and then uh, you, you'll find 
polls out there that completely disagree with me and then juxtapose that with what I'm saying. And I think you're going to be, you're going to make much better decisions as a result. You know, it's very similar to kind of what I realized when I was in St. Bart's, when I was talking to Hugh and Jeff and Brant and some of those hedge fund managers there, a lot of those hedge fund managers had mandates. And I'd never really thought of it that way, where they said, George, you've got to understand that I'm like this one gentleman as an example, he was a long only farmer. So he could only, so even though he had very bearish views, similar to Snyder, similar to mine, he, 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 he couldn't go short. He couldn't just go there and buy treasuries because he had to be long stocks. That was his mandate. That's why people buy his funds. And they say a lot of family offices or high net worth individuals, they'll just, they'll buy a fund just to have long exposure. Not that that's their only worldview, but that they just have exposure to the long side of the market. And they'll just use his fund to outpace the S&P 500 while at the same time, they'll take another portion of their capital and they'll invest, let's say with Jim Chanos, to have exposure to the short side of the market. That always made a lot of sense to me. And so I think with this channel, you should maybe look at it the exact same way because maybe I do have a tendency, a bias towards being bearish because to me, that's what the fundamentals say, but you shouldn't get caught in this echo chamber, especially if you're using this to manage your own personal portfolio. Have different inputs, have different opinions, and then come to your own conclusion. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism. <laughs> we'll see you on the next video.